Praise God. God bless you. Well, man, y'all look so good in your Easter outfits and church is nice and full. We invite y'all to come back next week if you're not doing anything and uh, appreciate. I love Easter. I love resurrection. I love the spring. I love what God uh, is doing at, uh, at Grace Church. And so, um, man, praise the Lord. Today's message is a little, little different. It's not your typical Easter message. It will cause you, if you've been a Christ follower for a long time, it'll, it'll cause you to think a little bit differently. If you're new to Christ, it'll, it'll be kind of an entry level to where you can, you can step into uh, the kingdom principles and start uh, living the life that God has for you. God has a life for you. God has a life for each of you, uh, and, and it's, it, it could be fulfilled through Jesus Christ on this Resurrection Sunday as we move forward. And so uh, you, you want to you know that. You, you need to know that. It's important. And so sometimes we get stuck in our religion. And when Janie went into full-time ministry uh, 23 years ago or so, we determined that it wouldn't be about a religion or a denomination. It would all be caught up on relationships. And so Jesus died so that we can have relationship with him. Amen? That's the, that's the whole thing. Restored relationship through Jesus Christ to God the Father. And so it's like a broken relationship that gets mended over years. This is what Jesus did through obedience to what God had in store for the justification of our sins. So that our sins would be justified because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? And because we've all sinned, we needed someone to justify that, that perfect uh, sacrifice, and that had to be a spotless lamb, all right, based on uh, the Passover meal. Well, we'll go back in history. We won't do that today. But because of that, then we have a, a justification for us in Jesus Christ the righteous. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today, and we'll present it a little bit differently than maybe you're used to. We're going to go to John 19, read a couple verses, then we'll go over to Luke 24. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, so that he fulfilled Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, or the Hebrew word there, testelestai, and he bowed his spirit, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then Luke 24, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Can you say amen? That's just the, that's like the most powerful scripture there is. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are risen. You are alive and you are well. Lord, and you still raise people from that dead in spirit life today, even today, Father. So we pray, Lord, that we could prepare our hearts to hear those things that you have for us to hear today, prepare our minds to dwell on you and the heavenlies. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. I like that, remember how he told you. I think it's important for us to know in Scripture 
that we need to remember what God says. We need to remember the things that he's told us we're more than conquerors. He's told us that we're overcomers. He's told us that we're the righteous elect of the king. He's told us that we don't have a past anymore, but we do have a future. He's told us all these beautiful things. Do you remember what he told you? Our youngest grandson, Judah, uh, Sharp little guy. He had the bow tie up here. In fact, he didn't stay up here very long. He got he did it the first service, so he he was tired. He was one and done today, and so he uh, he is over at the house recently. He was spending the night with us, and I asked him because sometimes he confuses cousins and classmates. He's in school. He's a he's in preschool, and he confuses them with brothers, you know. And so he knows if you're a boy, you're a brother. If you're a girl, you're a sister because he has a sister. And, and so I was asking him how many brothers he had because he was telling Janie that uh, on a little television show that he could watch. He said, yeah, me and my brothers watch it all the time. And, and he said, and Janie said, I think he's got a lying problem. <laughs> he doesn't have any brothers. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got cousins, and he calls his cousins brothers. So I said, hey, Jude, how many brothers do you have? I got 14 brothers, he said. I said, you got a big family. And so later in that day, several hours had gone by, and I thought, well, I want to see what he says this time. I said, hey, Jude, how many brothers you got? He said, remember I told you I got 14 brothers. I said, well, you do not. But <laughs> anyway, he remembered, the, he remembered the, uh, the amount, okay? I think it's important that we remember what God tells us. It's important. And how can we remember unless we know? How can we know unless we read? All right? And if we read the word, the word of God will add faith to us. So I want to encourage you just maybe a minor challenge. If you don't read the scripture, maybe read one scripture a day. Just read a verse. Maybe grab a version on your, on your phone and just look it up every morning. And just read the scripture of the day. And then after you've read the scripture of the day for a while, then maybe just do a little devotion or, or read a chapter or a couple verses. Or maybe after a while you read through a book of the Bible, maybe each month or something. But as you get God's word in your heart, King David said, I, God's word do I hide in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So then I'm, I'm walking in God, I'm walking in Christ, but I'm doing it with a, a purpose. I, I'm bringing his word into my heart, and I'm walking, I'm walking it out. So today we're, we're going to look at the scriptures, and we'll look at a couple of the things that Jesus did, but we'll kind of move from the back to the end. Ha, have you ever seen, it was, it's, a lo, it's an old movie, 1999, have you ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis? Anybody here? There's a few people. The rest of you are all too young. You don't know. Well, our, I was telling my daughter Jessica about it, and she said, oh, Great, you spoiled the ending. And I said, if you haven't watched it over the last 24 years, you're probably not going to watch it now at all. It's a 1999 movie. Of course, we laughed. And so I'm going to spoil the ending for you if you have never seen it. I'm going to tell you right now that Bruce Willis and the young boy are actually dead in the movie, okay? That if you watch it through the first time, it's a really complicated, really cool story. But you, when you get to the very end, the story's so complicated that they take like five or six or seven minutes out, and they go through different scenes where, see, he didn't touch her, or she doesn't have a ring on, or he's, they're talking to each other, but they're, they're ghosts or they're dead. And it, it goes back and forth. And then if you watch the movie again a second time, you can only watch it with the end in sight. You start to look for those things along the way that, yeah, that's right, he doesn't touch her there. They're talking not to each other. They're talking openly, but they're not. It looks like they're having conversation the first time through, but they're not talking. We need to look at the scriptures with the end in sight. 
Jesus Christ is alive. He's resurrected. Because he's resurrected, that's our end. We already know the beginning. See, the enemy wants to trick you into knowing that you're always trying to cover up your past. Your past is already covered up. Your sins are forgiven. You're set free if you're in Christ. Jesus, can you say amen? That's important to know, church. So we're going to look today at the gospel presentation of the resurrection, but we're going to move it from from the resurrection backwards so that if you're in Christ Jesus, you need to know I'm already resurrected. The end is already in sight. I'm just looking for the end goal rather than why can I not go on? How can I not do this? And where every day is a struggle, it's not about that struggle. It's about the end. It's about accomplishing what what the Father already has for you, and that's a resurrected life in Christ Jesus. So if we're looking at the resurrection, the first thing we look at is the resurrection takes us to the cross. Without the cross, there is no resurrection. There's no resurrection at all. This is the price. This is the brutal price that Jesus had to pay for the forgiveness of our sins. But aren't you glad that he's resurrected today? The scriptures are clear, and we'll give you scriptures, but they're clear that he was, the tomb is empty. There's, nowhere, there's nobody there in the tomb anymore. In fact, the Roman centurion soldier says, when Jesus says, it is finished, to Stella's die, this truly is the Son of God. This is the recognized now by an unbeliever who then becomes a believer. The thief on the cross said, hey, would you you spare me? Uh, And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so they take him down, and the, the two Marys run to the tomb, and now the tomb is empty. There's two angels standing there, one on the inside and one on the outside. He, he goes to the upper room, and he, and he visits with the ten disciples who are actually hiding out. So they see him. They, he's on a road to Emmaus with Cleopas and that other disciple, and they visit them for nearly three and a half hours. The tomb is empty. Jesus is resurrected. He's alive, and he's He's here today to fill that void in your heart that says, I need something in my life. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer all the day long. We, we get clouded by sometimes the things that we hear in our religious upbringing. We get clouded by, by uh, theological beliefs or doctrinal uh, counterparts. You know, well, this church believes this and speaking in tongues. This church doesn't. This church believes you can be eternally saved. This church doesn't. This, this doctrine believes in that. That doctrine believes in that. All we need to know that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. That's a win for everybody in the kingdom. Well, what if I don't believe in Jesus? Well, that's what we're here for today. To introduce you, we're not here to convince you. We're not here to beat you up with the Bible on why you weren't in church last week and why you might not be in church next week. We're here, we're here simply just to say, hey, Jesus is the real deal. He's a friend of ours. He's a, he's a friend of ours because what he did was that he died on a cross, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we're yet in this unbelief, he died for us. While we were yet not convinced, he died for us. The resurrection takes us to the cross because the cross is the pinnacle of what God is about when he sent his son to die on this cross. Isaiah tells us how how, uh, brutal it was. He was pierced for our iniquities. He was bruised for our transgression. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
He wasn't uh, someone that they would look at and be drawn to. It was his love and his nature that brought Jesus to, uh, to the cross and for the cross and his love for us. The joy that was set before him, the author of Hebrews says, is why he endured the cross so that he would see us on April the 9th, 2023, and look down and say, I died for them. The resurrection takes us to the cross. The resurrection is the, the, the end of that brutality. The, the resurrection is that beautiful morning on that first day of the week where they, they came and they were going to lay uh, spices on him. And, and the stone was already rolled away. And all of a sudden, the, the, the Jewish power said, well, the body must have got stolen, although the stone couldn't be moved. Uh, it was the angels that moved it, and Jesus came up out of the grave. It's a beautiful scenario when we look at it. Number two, the second part is the cross then takes us to Christ. Well, it has to take us to Christ because Christ died on the cross. Others have died on crosses, only they didn't rise from the, from the grave. Others had died, and they're still in the tomb. But Jesus Christ, he died and he rose. See, God needed a justifier for our sins, and so before of all creation, before man was created, he put a plan in place. I'm going to create man. If man falls, then there'll be a justification for their sin. I'll need a perfect lamb. Jesus would be the obedient, perfect lamb, all God, all man, that came as all God into all man, lived a life, and then 33 and a half years later gave up his life so that he could die on a cross so that he could be um, the restorer for us so that his life could be lived as an example. He wanted to show us that we could overcome sin, and we overcome sin through Jesus Christ. We overcome the nature of sin by living and loving God along the way through his son, Jesus Christ. The cross changes us. The cross didn't change Jesus he understood what the cross was going to be like, but the cross should change us. The cross has a linger effect. When we meet Jesus at the cross, and Jesus tells us to, to, to follow him, to, to die daily, and to bear our cross. He tells us to do these things. So the cross is a, is a change agent. Things in our life, maybe uh, if you have children for the first uh, time, your life changes. Absolutely changes. Your sleeping habits no longer exist. If you become an empty nester, your life changes. All of a sudden, there's, there's not those that depend on you as much as they did. If you become a grandparent, your life changes. It's a really good thing because then you can sugar them up, send them home, and just smile. Or you can pray that their child acts just like them. That's a good prayer, too. You can quietly thank Jesus. Oh, good. I'm so glad they got one. <laughs> Sorry, that sailor reminds me of Janie, so I'm so glad that Marcus gets to enjoy that. And Janie, Janie will say, she's like perfect. I know, honey, she's just like you. She, she's beautiful. I know, honey, she's just like you. And then sometimes she'll say, she's kind of honoring. I know, honey, she's just like you. She has to have her way, doesn't she? I know, honey, she's just like you. <laughs> change agents. 
the cross should change. In Mark's gospel, the 15th chapter, uh, Mark, uh, who gets most of his writings from uh, Peter, but he's also John Mark, and so he's also related to Mary of Siloam. Uh, he's like a nephew. There's a lot of family going on in the scriptures that we don't really know about unless we study the backside of the scriptures and really take the scriptures out by detail. But Mark mentions two men who had a change agent at the cross. It was, it was a like it was a different story. Like they were involved, and in, in, if we're not careful, we just read their names and then we quickly go on because we want to be about the resurrection. But in, in my form of thinking, in my mind, it, it's like I, I can't relate like to Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the Christ. He died for me. But I, I can kind of relate to Joseph of Arimathea or Simon of Cyrene. Like if I was there, maybe I could help Jesus carry the cross, although I could still help Jesus today carry the cross. Or, or maybe I could give uh, 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 Jesus my, my tomb or something that I have. And although I can still give him my life today and the things that I have. And so we can still be like Joseph of Arimathea and Simon of Cyrene today. We don't have to be in the scriptures to do that. We can help fulfill the scriptures by doing that because Jesus still calls on all of us today to be a part of this resurrection so that if we are, if we are um, not born again, if we're not a Christ follower, we have become born again or a Christ follower. If we are, then we need to help bring other people to know Jesus. So we, we do that. But Simon of Cyrene uh, uh, is a, um, uh, from Africa. And it's probably somewhere between a three and seven day journey on foot for him to go where he lived in Africa over to Jerusalem because he wants to be part of the Passover. It's like a, for some uh, Israelites, it was a yearly journey. For some, it was just a once in the lifetime journey. And he comes uh, in his once of a lifetime journey and he's part of the crowd. It's kind of like, like Easter service. And, and, he, and he's coming in and he's paying homage for the Passover. But if you if you ever seen like uh, um, the other day uh, we were going to uh, the chapel for, for Monday Thursday and we had to go get some coffee because we like coffee at our services so we go get a couple big to go coffees at the coffee shop and I get on the interstate and it's backed up for miles it was and our, we might be late her own service. <laughs> it was just backed up for miles. And the other side was backed up for miles. And it was like, oh, no, what's going on? I wish we would have taken a different route. We can't get off because the next exit is where we got to go. But it's, it's two and a half miles and it's backed up. And we're, so we're just creeping and crawling. And, and uh, all of a sudden then we see there's a, maybe what looked like maybe a drug bust on the side. They had some people in handcuffs. They got things underneath the car. They're looking for stuff. The guy wasn't broke down. Let's just put it that way. And so, but on the other side of the traffic, there was nothing, but they were backed up, you know, because everybody wants to see what's going on, right? And he's like, you don't need to slow down for that. You need to be aware. You need to take care of that, the, you know, the officers or whatever, but you could go faster than five or six miles an hour. And on the other side, certainly you could, but everybody wants to know. This is what was happening when Simon of Cyrene went for the Passover. They're parading Jesus, King of the Jews, through the streets, and all of a sudden, everybody stops. And they're seeing what is taking place. Because isn't that the guy who said he was the son of God? 
Isn't that the one who said he prayed to glorify his father? Isn't that the miracle workers? Now they're parading him through like a criminal? So Simon of Cyrene is there and he's looking and he's watching. And one of the Roman soldiers after Jesus had fallen for the second or third time grabs him out of the crowd and says, Hey, you, you help him carry his cross. Jesus wants you to help him carry his cross today. What are you called to do? Well, what, what, is the, what is the thing that God wants you to do? It could just be nice to a neighbor, family member, friend. It could be a co-worker that needs a help. It could be someone that you know needs a helping hand. It could be like some of the people in our church that have different care ministries. They're parachurch ministries. They help people on the streets or they do different things behind the scenes that nobody knows about or nobody understands, but they're out doing them. So Simon of Cyrene carries the cross. And the cross would have been two parts. There would have been the body part and the arm part. And who knows what part he carried, but he would have been helping Jesus literally carry his cross up Calvary. Well, Simon of Cyrene, if you're just reading the scriptures or reading it through, it's pretty simple, like that's the end of the story, but it's not really. He had two sons named Rufus and Alexander. If you go into Acts chapter, I think it's around 10, Rufus and Alexander are actually helping Paul plant churches in Antioch. They, they become church planners. So this, this occasion of which the cross became actually physically attached to Simon and Cyrene had a spiritual impact to where his children, decades later, are now planting churches in Antioch. Think, think about your change at the cross didn't just affect you. It will affect your children and your children's children. Janie's great-grandma Lola got saved years ago in the Topeka Revival right around 1930, 1925 or 1930, after her family got moved from the Trail of Tears in Cherokee, North Carolina, and then got moved from Oklahoma to Kansas because they found oil in the reservation, and the government said, well, you can't have that. Let's move you up there. All that so that Lola Jordan could get saved. God will turn heaven and earth for you to be where you need to be so that you can accept him the way you need to accept him. And then Pentecost f flowed through that family to where it still exists and is alive today. Joseph of Arimathea quite possibly could have been the rich young ruler that came to Jesus in the nighttime. We believe that he was part of the Sanhedrin court. We believe that he was rich, because it says rich young ruler. We believe that he came to Jesus secretly. And as he comes to Jesus secretly and says, what must I do? Jesus says, hey, go sell everything that you have and follow me. And really what he's saying is, don't put anything in front of God. I would ask you today, have you placed anything in front of God? It's not about going to church weekly. It's about living daily for God. It's about understanding who Christ is. This king who sits at the right hand of the Father who loves you and me so much that he died for us. Now all of a sudden is, is, is this master that loves us, that he will allow us to walk daily with him. Joseph of Arimathea, if he was the rich young ruler, and walks away. In fact, the Bible says he walked away kind of sorrowful, kind of mourning, like he, like he didn't do it or didn't want to do it. If that was the rich young ruler that then becomes Joseph of Arimathea, 
who comes and gets the body down from the cross. We know that Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy because he had already purchased a tomb, a nice tomb, that he allows Jesus to use. By the way, Jesus is into borrowing. He borrowed Mary's womb. He borrowed Joseph's tomb. And he wants to borrow your talents today to be used for the kingdom or for the gospel. It's all about not what Jesus wants to take from us or what we have to give Jesus. It's just a partnership with Jesus. Jesus wants to partner with you today just right where you're at. And whatever you do, however you do it, he just wants to be your friend and your partner. Well, Joseph of Arimathea lets go of his tomb for Jesus. He, we know that he was part of the Sanhedrin court. We know that he has a tomb. We know that he's rich and wealthy. We know that he has power because not just anybody's going to go talk to Pilate. And say, hey, I would like to take the body of Jesus down. He does that secretly. Nicodemus is there helping him, the Bible says. And Nicodemus, we know, went to Jesus at night as well. And then he became born again. And so now we're learning that Joseph of Arimathea, yeah, but, I mean, how do you put that together? Well, Acts, the fourth chapter, then kind of brings it to conclusion. Verse 36 says that Joseph, now called Barnabas, went and sold all that he had and laid it at the feet of Jesus. This is a decade or two decades later, and I would say this, that if you've invited someone to church or into the kingdom of God, if you're praying for somebody, Jesus doesn't necessarily answer the next day, but he does answer. And Joseph of Arimathea, quite possibly who's Barnabas, quite possibly who sold his land and laid it at the feet of the apostles, quite possibly is doing then what Jesus told him to do maybe 10 or 20 years before. The cross is a change agent. The cross will change you. And number three, the, the, the Christ then takes us to God. Christ takes us to God. So resurrection takes us to the cross the cross takes us to Christ. Christ takes us to God. If we were looking at this thing forward, we would say, yes, God sent his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That God wants us, so he sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He's resurrection. But if we work it backwards, similar to the movie, the six says, once you know the end, it's easier to walk through life. I know that heaven is my eternal home. I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God, according to Romans 8 chapter. And so I know this. Now it makes every day a little bit easier. Christ takes us to God. Well, some people would say, if you've been in church for any length of time, people would say, yeah, but on that day, you know, because of the sin and the weight of the world, that God turned his back on his only begotten son. I, I don't accept that. Jamie, come here for a second, will you? You're, you're a good illustrator guy. Pop up here on the platform. I'll even give you a hand. This, everybody say, hi, Jamie. Well, that was weak. You're awesome, man. So, would you stand right? Come up here. Stand right. Look at me. You're Jamie. I am. I'm God. Not, not really God, but I'm Mark. I'm playing God okay. for a second. I'm not playing God because I'm super spiritual, just in this revelation. All right? Gotcha. Okay. Because somebody could take this clip and say, oh, look, he said he was God. No. Yeah, he thinks he's God. Got a God complex. I'm not God. I am God, but I'm not God. For now. For now. You're still Jamie. I am. Okay. So you're investigating who God is. Like, I need to know God. I need to know who God is. Who is this God? 
And I, I want to come to church and I want to find out who God is. I want to love God. And now if I see who God is, then God's beautiful. I mean, God sent his son to die. And we kind of meet God at the cross a little bit. But say, for instance, you have a bad day and turn around. And you, all the time. All, yeah. So you turn around because if we've learned it right in our church setting, that if God turned his back on Jesus for sinning, then he must, Jesus didn't sin, by the way, but he bore the sins of the world. If God turned his back on Jesus for bearing the sin of the world, then he must turn his back on us. But if you turn on your back on God because you think you've sinned, God comes around and meets you right here. And he says, hey, Jamie, I'm here. No matter where you turn, he's going to be there. And so if you turn around again, and now you start walking away, we sing the song, the goodness of God is running after me, is running after me. Is running. He, he just grabs you right here, and then he turns you back around. And then what happens is this, is that one day, ha, see, you can't, now you can't get enough of God. Now you start walking to God. You meet, and you meet God at the cross of Christ because Jesus takes us to God. Jesus is the full redemption of our sins. He, he brings us into the restoration process. He brings us into this process that says, if you love me, I will never turn my back. In fact, he says in the Old and New Testament, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. So the theology that says God turned his back on sin would go against what King David said, whom Jesus quoted personally more than anybody in scripture, King David says, God, no matter if you go, if I go all the way to the heavens or if I all go all the way to middle earth, you're still there. So when we say God turned his back on, on it can't happen. There's no way that can happen. Because if we have that mentality thinking in our mind that God turned his back on his son, then we think every time we fall, God's turning his back on us. But God is love. God is love. And grace leads us to that love. Does that make sense? So you're Jamie, I'm God. And we love each other at the cross. Thank you, brother. That confused me for years as a believer. If God turns his back on Jesus, every time I, I have a mishap, every time I fumble the ball, spiritually thinking, every time I mess up, God's turning his back on me. I think every time you mess up, God runs at you a little bit harder. God met, runs at you a little bit stronger. God, God runs at you a little bit deeper and a little bit harder. See, if we, if, we, if we look at the idea that God couldn't look at Jesus because he bore the weight of the world, I think he bore the weight of the world, and God is up there like saying, thank you, son. You are restoring all of my people back to the love that I have for them. The word to tell us that it is finished. Can we bring that scripture up one more time? Anthony, uh, John 19, and then that last verse, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. That word is to tell us And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. It's done. You can go back now to that other screen. When... Uh, Back on February the 15th, I think it was, Janie and I were driving to Omaha, and it was a blizzard. And we, uh, first day, really good. Second day, you know, we're hitting snow and ice. So there's tractor trailers all over ditches. And it, it was like, uh, we decided then we're not going to Omaha anymore in February March. We always go up the end of February to celebrate our uh, middle grandchild's birthday, Cam's. 
March 9th. We shared the same day. And so we tried to get up there right around that time. We wanted to see him play basketball. And Jill, our daughter, gave us a call on, I think it was on that Wednesday morning. We were getting in, th- no, Thursday morning because we were getting in Thursday night. We were going to watch uh, his game. And uh, their very best friend, uh, James, uh, Jill, Jeff's husband and James uh, had been next door neighbors since they were five years old and they were best men at each other's wedding. Jill had been a classmate of James from the sixth grade through the, the 12th grade. He was a Kansas City police officer and, and uh, Jill had gotten a call that morning that, that James died on duty uh, the night before. Uh, and their, of course, their hearts were just broke. It was just a, just, it was just horrible, just a horrible thing. And we were in the middle of a blizzard. Well, do we need to turn around and go back? Do you guys need some time? Do you? And Jill said, I really feel like we just need not only parents, but we need pastors at this point in time. So we continued our trek up into Omaha and, and you know, did the best we could just hanging out and, and listening to them and some stories. And Jeff spoke at the funeral and just did a magnificent job and, and uh, so proud of how they handled uh, everything. And uh, we were back uh, before the, we didn't go to the funeral. We were back in town. We watched the funeral live. Uh, it was live streamed through one of the local Kansas City um, uh, television stations. And uh, the end of the funeral, I just wasn't prepared for. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, it, did, it shook me to the core. Um, I, I still tear up, choke up thinking about it. Uh, and I want to present that to you today, and I'll tell you why. Uh, when the casket was removed from the uh, from the the large uh, hall, there was um, uh, I would imagine thousands of people there. They had it in a, in a big uh, downtown building. Casket was removed, and every uh, police officer, trooper, uh, civil dignitary uh, in the hundreds, if not low thousands, were standing perfectly at attention for this uh, body to be removed. From the from the arena in which the memorial service took place, and uh, as they put the casket in the uh, uh, in the hearse, and they fold up the flags, two flags, one for his wife and one for his son, and of course it was so emotional. Uh, then the police chief of the Kansas City Police Department, Kansas City, Missouri, who was a female, uh, she gets on the radio, and they do what this called a 1042. And it's called a last call. And if you've never heard one, uh, it just shakes you to the core. And so uh, they did the last call for Officer James Mobauer. And the police chief gets on and says, car 81. And by the way, he was a canine unit. And so his canine dog, Champ, uh, lived with him 24-7, 365. They, they, uh, he'd, take, he'd take Champ home. Champ died in service that night as well. And so the police chief gets on the radio and says, uh, this is the 1042, Officer James Mobauer, uh, Officer Champ, are you there? And the radio falls silent. And the police chief gets on the radio with her voice cracking, car 81, Officer Mobauer, Officer Champ, this is the final call, are you there? And then one last time, with her voice definitely cracking to the point of tears, Officer Mobauer, Car 81, Officer Champ, 
this is your final call, are you there? And complete silence. And then she says, Officer Mobauer, 20 years on the police department, husband, father, rest in peace. We'll take it from here. And it just totally messed me up. One, because this fine officer died in the line of duty. And two, we should, we should respect all of our police officers and civil workers. And can we give them a hand of appreciation, those who help protect our cities and help protect our nation, help protect our country. But three, I got to thinking. And as honorable as that was, and it was honorable, and he deserved all the honor, four months from being eligible to retire, 20 years on the police department, served uh, in an honorable way, very great way. And I, I got to thinking, now, if, if that honor had taken place and these I, maybe 800 or so officers are standing in attention and the canine unit, is, and as they called out uh, Officer Champ, his dog, the dog started to whelping. The, the, the dogs that were there were whelping and barking. It's like they knew something was going on. And the canine unit, they were all decked out in their, in their gear. These grown men were just weeping openly because they're... Their, their compadre, their, their partner had fallen a week before, okay? And so then, then they're, 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 they're all standing at attention. And, so, and then, then what happens is I'm thinking when Jesus Christ is on the cross, could, could it be that every angel in heaven was standing at attention because of the honor due him? Every angel probably, those war angels were like, Father God, let us go get him off the cross. And God holding them back with the words saying, no, it is not finished yet. And then Jesus gives up the ghost and says, it is finished, testalistai. Which simply means it's not done, it's just beginning. Because he looks and he sees every single one of us here. And he goes, I died for them. But I can imagine the angels standing at attention. I can imagine the angels wanting to come get him. The Bible says he could have called for 10,000 angels to come and rescue him. And he chose not to. And God did not turn his back on Jesus. God openly said, that's my son whom, whom I am well pleased. As the worship team comes back and starts to prepare, I have a question for you. What if it were your last call? What if it was your 1042? Paul said it's the pointing of the man wants to die after that, the judgment. Here's my charge. Here's my challenge for today is if it were your time, if it was your 1042, and the angel in heaven says, are we going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or are we going to hear, depart from me because I never knew you? I'm going to ask Marcus to come in just a moment, but at the funeral... Officer Mobauer's wife, Cassie, wrote a letter. And his, her sister read it. And the, the letter went similar to this. Dear James, 
had I known it was going to be your last day, I would have hugged you a little tighter. I would have kissed you a little longer. And my conversation would have been a little deeper. And I would say this today, if you don't value everyone every day, can we really sell ourselves a Christ follower? Marcus, come. Marcus is going to just talk to us about salvation. Stand with me this morning where you're at and, and listen to the words he says and think about your 1042 for a moment. Thank you. Can you appreciate your pastor for just a moment and just thank you for bringing that message today? You know, when I hear that story about the police officer who laid down his life during, uh, in the line of duty, I think that that is just so unfair. Why did he have to die? He was doing the right thing. He was, yeah, he knew that, that the job comes with the risks, but it just doesn't seem fair, right? And uh, it reminds me of the cross, and I think about Jesus, and I think about how unfair that was. It just seems the most unfair thing, who Jesus was so perfect that you have to ask yourself, why did Jesus have to die? Was it because God was so filled with wrath at the sin of mankind that Jesus had to step in the way and take all that wrath on himself so that we don't have to be punished for our sins? Is that really the picture that God is trying to give to us? I think that's not what God intended. I think it wasn't because God was filled with so much wrath that somebody had to take it and it was Jesus, his son. It was because God was filled with so much love that he said, I'm willing to send my only son to step in the way. God himself stepped in the way and he said, I'm going to take the wrath of God. I'm going to take the punishment because I love you, because God loved the world, because he loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. God loves you. He loves you so much that nothing could ever separate you from his love, not even your sin. The wrong things that we do can't separate you from God's love. Not height, not depth, nor angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, but our sin does separate us from God, not from his love, but there is a chasm that can only be bridged because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, and because he was never separated from God, because he never sinned, he was the only one qualified to be our Savior. He was suffered, he was crucified, he died for us. In essence, he traded places with us. And when he rose from the dead, he proved that he is more powerful than sin, death, hell, and the grave. Listen to this, the cross, the crucifixion at that time was such a disgraceful way to die. The upper class Romans wouldn't even talk about crucifixion. It was literally designed to wipe the person's memory, the, the person's memory from the planet so that you wouldn't talk about that person ever again. You wouldn't even think about that person. If it were not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
we would not have any memory of Jesus. It is only because he lives that we remember who he is. And it's only because he lives that we can have eternal life. When he rose from the dead, he gave us a free gift and he said, you can have eternal life if you simply ask him to forgive you of your sins, believe that he died on the cross and make that decision to live for Jesus. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? Think about your last call. If you were to die today, would you spend eternity in heaven with God in a place that Jesus is preparing for you? Or would, would you spend eternity separate from God in a place called hell that was never designed for you, but it exists for those who say, I don't want to be with God. It's not that God's so mad at you that he said you have to go to hell for eternity. God is saying, I want to be with you. But it's your choice. If you say, no, God, I don't want to be up with you, then you'll spend eternity in a place called hell. But if you say, God, I do want to be with you, then you are with God and you'll spend eternity in a place called heaven. If that's you today, if you say, I've never made a decision to live for God and I've never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Or, or maybe you're here today and you say, I'm just not sure. I don't know what would happen to me when I die. I, but today you say, I want to be sure. Then I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm not going to ask you to come forward up here today, but what I am going to ask you to do is to raise your hand. If you say, either I'm not sure or I know I wouldn't be in heaven, but today I want to make that decision. Would you raise your hand up nice and high and say, I want to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins, and I want to make a decision to live for God. Thank you for the hands going up all over the place. Is there anybody else that says, I see more hands going up and more hands. Thank you for all. Is there anybody else that says, I want to make a decision to live for God. I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior, knowing that when I die, when my time has come, I'm going to have that assurance that I'm going to be in heaven. I want to be with God. I want to accept that sacrifice. Is there anybody else? I just want to ask one more time because I don't want this moment to pass. Just raise your hand up nice and high. More hands going up across this place. Thank you, Jesus. God loves you so much. Anybody else? We're all going to pray here today. I just want to make sure that you have that moment. You can put your hands down, but if you raised your hand or even if you didn't raise your hand, could everyone here repeat a simple prayer after me, just asking God to forgive us of our sins, making that decision to say, I, God, you are the Lord of my life, making it verbal to say, I believe in you, Jesus. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say, dear God, thank you for loving me. I know I've sinned. Please forgive me and make me a new person. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and raising from the dead. I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Put your hands together and just welcome those into the kingdom of God. You made the best decision 
Listen, today you didn't cross the finish line. You crossed the starting line with your new relationship with God. We want to give you a Bible. I'll be at the VIP table afterwards. Please uh, fill out one of those connection cards and say, today I made a decision to live for Christ. Hand that to me, and I want to uh, meet you afterwards. Let's sing and rejoice with one last song, and then Pastor and Jane are going to close this service uh, in, a, in a word of prayer and a greeting. God bless you.
Come on, Lord, church, give the Lord a shout of praise. Praise Amen. God. Praise God. Praise the greatest thing that's ever taken place is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he rose to defeat hell, death, and the grave. He is the king that sits on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for me and you. Thank you for coming out today. Let today be the first day of the new walk in Christ. Whether you've been a long season veteran of the kingdom, let today be a renewal, a refreshing. Find that first love again. If you're new to the kingdom of God, enjoy the journey. It's a great ride. And if this is your first time, and um, we would just encourage you to go right around the corner. There's a um, big booth that says welcome or info. I'm not even sure what it says anymore. Welcome to the family. And we had hands raised up all over the place today that have accepted Christ. So let me just say welcome to the family, the family of God. So I'm so proud of you. But more importantly, God is proud of you. And, and so just go out there. We have some tumblers. We have some grace mugs. Pastor wrote a great book. You can grab the book. Um, all that just for t-shirts, just for being a guest today. We're, we're so honored that you chose to be with us on this special day. It means the world to us. And to Grace Church family that's here every week, we just say thank you for, for being here. And um, can we just give a shout out to all of the breakfast workers that took time? Thank you so much. That was amazing. And also, um, if you see like children's workers, they had a lot of work today to our nursery workers and just to all of the, the Grace Church worship team and the staff and everybody puts so much into Easter. It's a big day, but we know that every day is a big day because we know the end of the story that Pastor talked about, the resurrection. So that's just, it was just a great message. And, and I love that the fin it is finished, the final call and what, what's going to happen when it's our final call. When, when our number comes up and it's time to go, will we go to heaven or hell? We had that choice today, and I'm so glad that you chose to say, if I was to die at this moment, I know where I would be in my next breath. And we, we are so grateful that we have the opportunity and the privilege to get to do that today. So we love you, and we just say thank you for being with us. And whatever breakfast is left out there, if there's anything left, grab it to go. And we hope to see you next week. And we do love you, and thanks for coming. Pastor can put a blessing on you. Father, we thank you for sending your son, for dying on the cross for us. Most of all, for the resurrection, the same spirit rose Christ from the grave, yes. you said now resides within us. So yes. thank you for the freedom of living a life that's yes. dedicated to you. Lord, we, we know people here might be hurting and in pain. We pray you take away that pain and that hurt. But Lord, give them that newfound love. Thank you for the commitments made today. Thank you, Father Lord, for the workers. And thank you for, Lord, the people that just love on you. Bring them all back, Father Lord. But most of all, bring them into your kingdom. And thank you, Lord. Help them with their walk, Father Lord. Help them with their life. Bless each one, Father Lord. Order their steps. Be their rear guard, Father. A, a hedge of protection, a shield of favor around each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next time.